Hi there, this is Jonathan Edwards. Welcome to the podcast. Pureandsimplebible.com is my website, and it's also the name of the podcast. So if you didn't know that, you know it now. And I'm back again with Brother Aaron Boone. I'm so thankful to have another opportunity to have an excellent Bible conversation, this time about one of the most popular passages in the Old Testament, Psalm 23, but looking at it with Christian eyes. What sort of takeaways, what sort of applications can a Christian make when looking at an Old Testament psalm? Sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we think that it's back in the Old Covenant, so it's not for us. There's not as much there for us as it were was for the people who lived during that time. But Aaron's going to help us understand that there's so much for us to get. Let's jump in, shall we? All right. Well, thank you for coming back in the studio, Aaron. It's been so long since I've seen you last time. <laughs> I know. It's been forever. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I am thankful. I'm thankful for Psalm 23, which is what we're going to be talking about today, one of the most popular scriptures in all of the Bible. And yet, the way you're framing this is that it's a, a actually a descriptor of Christianity, even though Christianity wasn't around whenever it was written. So yeah. maybe we could begin with the purpose of wisdom literature, just because uh, let's pretend somebody out there maybe doesn't know what I just said with wisdom literature. What is it, and why is it in the Bible? Yeah. So I'll try and give you an abbreviated kind of answer for this, but uh, my always thought goes back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, where the writer says, and it's part of wisdom literature, but he says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and direction to youth. Mm -hmm. And so there's, while it doesn't explicitly say this is the purpose, that is the purpose of the writings of Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and these other books of wisdom, Right to give knowledge and wisdom to the young, to the youth, to help others uh, receive instruction in wise dealings and in righteousness. So you get wise dealings and in righteousness, these two kind of concepts, maybe how to raise your children you see throughout Proverbs right. and other ways, how to be uh, a righteous servant of God. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. One book that I, I've often quoted in the past noted that the wisdom literature reveals the collected wisdom of generations of godly people, and that's an important concept. That the wisdom literature is these writings, it's divine, it's inspired, mm -hmm. but it's revealing the wisdom from godly people. Right. And it's being sent down to invite us to consider the complexity and the simplicity of living mm -hmm. uh, wisely. This is the type of book, you know, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. I forgot mm -hmm. Job. Job was in it as well. Right. But these are the types of books you're not going to blow through quickly, like a narrative reading. You know, you're you're not reading through the book of Judges or one of the Gospels where it's written in a narrative structure, so you're, it's like you're reading a story. Yeah. But these require a little bit more of a slowdown, right? You've got to kind of chew on it because there's a lot of highly figurative language. Oh, yeah. Uh, the metaphors are there, things that, you know, high school English coming back to, you know, to haunt us in our dreams from things we didn't pay attention to. Yeah. But we want to, especially here as we jump into Psalm 23, recognize that, that we're going to be talking about highly figurative language, but it definitely has some very powerful application. And so we want to draw out those lessons from the wisdoms of the past. Now, um, how can this, since the title of your, your study is a descriptor of Christianity, how can this psalm deal with Christian values 
since it's in pre-Christian literature? Yeah. And that's, you know, a great introductory question when you're reading these. So what is this dealing with? Uh-huh. What is the context and what's happening here? Um, and how does this affect me? Right. Is often a great question to ask. How is this working uh, and how do I apply this to my life? Mm-hmm. Um, and part of this comes from the very beginning. In context, it's speaking of a, of a relationship between shepherd and flock. And it's giving the blessings that a shepherd will give to his flock and how right. he'll watch over them. And that imagery is pictured in the New Testament often. In John chapter 10, Jesus multiple times will recognize that he's the good shepherd right. and that his followers are his sheep. Mm-hmm. And so there's that imagery. Mm-hmm. And while David, who is the author of Psalm 23, may not have Christianity in mind, he might be looking at Christ. This might be a messianic prophecy. There are these similarities between the relationship between flock and shepherd. Right. And those are relationships, the relationships that we as Christians today can look back at Psalm 23 and say, I see that in God's blessings still today. And so we get that still description of the blessings that the shepherd gives to his sheep, mm-hmm. which is a Christian, a New Testament uh, parallel that's made. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I know there's some other New Testament passages as well. But 1 Corinthians 10, which talks about how these things beforehand were written for our learning and our instruction mm-hmm. so that through their example, we might have patience and hope. Yeah. And so, yeah, obviously a Christian uh, is able to use the eyes of completed revelation to look back on pre-Christian literature and then make applications that can still apply today. That's one of the beauties of being in the Christian faith is, yeah. you know, if, if you never recognize Jesus as the Messiah, then you never find the fulfillment out of all the pre-Jesus scriptures that were all pointing at him. Yeah. And so you and I are living in the golden age, so right. to speak, of, I guess, before the, the pre-heaven golden age, uh, where we're able to know what the Bible says from beginning to end. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What were you about to say? That's that. That's that purpose where you know John the Immerser is a great prophet, but the least in the kingdom is greater than even here because we get this point. full image, right? And we have the full revelation where the prophets of old of the Old Testament are constantly said to be searching and looking at when is this coming? When is this happening? Yeah, because they're you know getting bits and pieces, mm-hmm. and now we under the New Testament with you know the completed Word of God. Yeah. Get this full image. We've taken off that veil, as Second Corinthians talks about, and we get to see that full glory. Well, if anybody out there is listening and suddenly very excited about the potential, good, because that's what we wanted you to do. We want you to feel excited about looking at Psalm 23 and reading the Old Testament in general. I feel like many times people want to focus on the New Testament because that's where Jesus is. That's where our law of liberty comes from. But... Man, you miss out on so much if you never pick up the Old Testament. So sit back and buckle up and uh, get ready for a ride through Psalm 23 because we have at least 14 points that we can talk about that help us gain insight into the Christian faith uh, that comes from each little section in this psalm. So maybe what we could do is, uh, do you mind reading the whole thing? And then what I might do is just kind of take it piece by piece and ask you to, to comment on those pieces from a Christian perspective. But can we start with just reading the whole thing? Yeah, let's read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay. So let's jump back to the beginning. Yeah. And that first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. What do you take away from that? Immediately, it calls to mind a relationship. He's my shepherd. Mm-hmm. Now, this doesn't uh, speak to a personal individual savior. Right. But it speaks to a relationship that goes on between shepherd and flock mm-hmm. that we see uh, in real life shepherding, which I don't have a lot of experience with. <laughs> I don't uh, either. But we do see that in with the concept throughout scripture of a shepherd. David, who is an amazing writer for this psalm, loved his flock. He would go before uh, bears and other animals because he wanted to protect his flock. Yeah. And he would lead them and protect them. And so there's this wonderful relationship that's being built within this very first line. And, you know, we can all go all the way back to John chapter 10 again, where Jesus is the great shepherd and the sheep in verse 27 hear his voice and follow him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so he notes that they're not going to follow a stranger because they know yeah. that's a stranger. There's a relationship between shepherd and flock. And that's what's about to be spoken of is the blessings that occur because of this relationship between shepherd and flock and how yeah. the shepherd blesses his flock. Well, that's a great I mean, if that was the only one, uh, it would still be a good study. But the Christian faith helps me understand when the Lord is my shepherd that there is this very personal connection between the way Jesus sees his followers. But Psalm 23 continues, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah, so there's that there's that blessing now. All right, so God or the Lord is the shepherd. That doesn't mean the sheep run astray. That doesn't mean the sheep are in want or need. No, it says the, the, the purpose of the shepherd is to supply those needs for his flock and to make sure the, the flock is taken care of. Now, you know, we have the adage where you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Same with shepherding. You can give your flock everything they need, but if they refuse to take it, that's on them. Right. Then here he's saying the Lord is supplying my every need. That's what the New Testament talks about in Philippians four nineteen, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. God wants to provide. He's a gift-giving God. Now, the big question becomes, in my opinion, what's he going to give us? Because <laughs> the world likes to ask for their own things, sure. right? They want their sure. own, uh, they want their own gifts. They want their nicer car, nicer house, better job, right? So, what's God going to give us? Yeah. Before you do that, I yeah. just wanted to mention a scripture in Ephesians chapter three. Uh, now, to him who is able to do abundantly more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Yeah. You know, there's this, it's uh, exceeding, it's abundant, it's beyond. The idea of of the supply that God gives is, you may be asking for a handful, but you don't realize you're about to receive, you know, the dump trucks backing up, and you're about to be just overwhelmed with God's blessings. Yeah, and with that, the confidence when the Bible often says that if we ask in faith and according to his will, he will give it to us. He'll answer yeah. our prayer. Yeah. 
And so there's that confidence that we can pray with. It's not a timid prayer. It's a confident. Right. I'm asking a God who wants to supply me with my needs. Be careful in asking or what you ask for, I suppose, because, you know, you ask for patience. Yeah. And he's going to give it to you in an overwhelming way. Right. <laughs> or humility, whatever the <laughs> discipline is. Be, yeah. ready, be ready for what you ask. Okay, well, the the psalmist continues. Yep. He's he's taking on the role of a sheep. Mm-hmm. And so he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he offers these two things. Let's do them together. Uh, okay. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. What do I get as a Christian from the idea of the Lord lying me down in green pastures and beside quiet waters? Very similar things the first concept speaks of rest you can imagine a shepherd you know herding his sheep to a new uh or to greener pasture somewhere else and you're exhausted after that uh you're walking through terrain you're going uh through mountains you're exhausted Mm -hmm. and he lets them know that he leads them and lets them lie down in green pastures Mm. so in a safe place in a comfortable area yeah and that's what the lord as our shepherd does he provides rest to his people. Jesus gives the encouragement in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is light. My burden, or my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so God is offering rest. But when you rest, you don't just stay tired. You need refreshment. Right. And that's that concept of he, he lets me drink. He leads me beside the still waters, the clean and pure waters that's where god leads his people or the lord leads his sheep to Mm -hmm. so he gives Mm -hmm. them the rest they need but also the refreshment that they need to gain their strength again in fact to refresh literally speaks of to revive or to regain strength yeah and so he's giving them their rest and he's giving them their kind of revival of strength so that they can keep pressing on it the, the analogy of them moving from one place to the next, he lets me lie down in green pastures. You know, they've gone on a hard trek to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a comfort that I take away is that the shepherd had to do that trek with them. And yeah. when they got there, he was likely tired as well. But th- how much is the love of the shepherd for the sheep that instead of being selfish and him laying down and exposing them to danger, he allows them to lay down and get rest and he'll take the first watch. Yeah. So, uh John three sixteen. God loves us so much that He sent Jesus to die for our sins. So whoever you know, I'm butchering the verse off the top of my head, but you're doing the, great. The, <laughs> the point is that He did the first watch. Yeah. He didn't expect more of us any more than what He ultimately gave in the beginning. He gave more than anything we could ever do. Yeah. Uh, we got to lie down in the green pastures. Yeah. I admired that. Now the end of that phrase, you know, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. There's a final clause there. What what can we gain from that? One of the greatest gifts that God has given us, and that's healing. Hmm. Where okay. it's not this physical sense because he, he refers to his soul. But there's an inward healing. It's, it's a spiritual aspect of healing that God offers his sheep, his, his children. And it's the, the healing we need. Yeah. Throughout scriptures, we're noted to be to be dead and in darkness and in danger of judgment. We need to be healed from our sins, and we need uh, that healing. In First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-four through twenty-five, 
says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, mm. for you were straying like sheep. There's your reference. Yeah. <laughs> but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Christ, as this good shepherd, went to the cross so that we might be healed. Mm. And this is prophesied about in Isaiah 53, that famous right. uh, verse or that famous chapter where Isaiah is giving this prophecy of the crucifixion upon Christ or upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. And so there's this healing that Christ offers to mankind through the cross. I can't help but think of mental health, you know, spiritual health. He restores my soul. And it oftentimes it doesn't matter how healthy you are physically. If your if your mind, your soul is not sound, it has detrimental effect on the rest of your body. Yeah. And so the healing, the primary healing that God is involved in is the healing of your soul. Yeah. Of getting your spirit right. And the benefits of being right in the mind how that can, I guess, uh, it, it tends to crescendo into the, the health of the body. So mm -hmm. priorities. Yeah. I'm reminded of priorities. Let me add to that. One thing that I always find interesting is God does care about our mind. It's almost like that's the battlefield. That's our battlefield is our mind. Right. And so Ephesians gives us the helmet of salvation. First Thessalonians calls it the helmet of the hope of our salvation. Mm -hmm. And so God is protecting our mind with this hope of salvation. And he's working with our mind to make it sound and to sure it up right. so that as we do fight within that battlefield with Satan and his temptations, our mind can be set on higher things, mm -hmm. which, like you said, mm -hmm. when your mind is right, that's going to overflow into a healthy body and a healthy lifestyle. You know, a month ago, month and a half ago, whenever this all started going crazy mm -hmm. in the corona stuff, uh, there was a couple weeks there where I don't think I had a very sound mind. I was very stressed and probably not as stressed as I've been since we lived abroad. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, it affected every part of who I am. And that I had somebody call me who I love a whole lot, and they knew I was going through some rough patches, and they were just like, you've got to let you got to let this give, give it to God. You've got to stop holding on to this. And it sounds kind of cheesy, like just let go and let God. You know, that thing you find in kitchen decorations, let go and let God. Yeah. Obviously, there's some issues I have with implications of that. But the idea that I have to get out of the driver's seat and let him be the one who drives, or in this particular example, I have to stop trying to be the shepherd mm -hmm. and let him be the shepherd. Yeah. And um, there's definitely things we as Christians or as God's people have to do yes. to receive. Acts 28 notes that in verse 27 that we must turn mm -hmm. before we're healed. Yeah. And so there's things we have to do. And part of that is letting go and moving on. And we'll talk about maybe some more of those verses uh, as we continue to see these blessings that God gives us. Ooh, I didn't know I was giving a You're good. Insight. spoiler, but we'll get to that in a moment. Okay, let me read the the line of the psalm again <clears throat> and uh you know that'll kind of get us back in the groove here yeah the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul and then the next sentence begins with 
He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, you actually have two uh, lessons in that phrase. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Why don't you help me understand? Yeah. So two things that humans need in general is guidance and purpose. And that's what he's giving us here. Yes. Guide it. And now um, I've been lucky enough to actually sit down with a shepherd. And, really? <laughs> yeah. And get to talk to him about sheep. Was it Ethan Wall? No, it wasn't. It was a guy. It was a friend in Australia. Okay. Uh, we sat down and we talked about sheep, and we came through this picture of scripture. And he says, "He said sheep are one of the." He said, "Quote: Sheep are one of the dumbest animals." <laughs> the moment he stopped looking after his sheep, the moment they were lost and scattered, and he says it sounds stereotypical of what the Bible describes how sheep wandering in the wilderness and stuff, yeah. but he said it's it's so true, where these sheep once he's done looking and watching over them will just be off. And we, like these sheep, need guidance. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, I am the way. Now, there's your path. There's your guidance that he's calling you yeah. to come through. Uh, over in John, John 10, verse 3 through 4, which John 10 is a great you know, Jesus shepherd chapter in general. Uh, speaking of Jesus as the good shepherd, he says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and all the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Mm-hmm. So there, that takes you back to the Lord is my shepherd, the relationship. Right. He knows their name. They know his name. Right. But he also says they follow his voice. There's that guidance that the shepherd is giving to his sheep, and that's what they follow. And without it, they would be lost. And so the, the Lord and the shepherd to his sheep gives them guidance, which is necessary for without it, you know, we'd be lost. But one of the one of the hardest things in life, I think, that has driven a lot of people to do things that maybe they're not proud of or they regret later in life is a lack of purpose. Right. We search for purpose. We're a mm-hmm. purpose driven individual, even if we're not religious, you know, in our life. We want purpose. We want a good job. We want a family. We have goals and aspirations. And our purposes, when they're not built on God, fall short. Yeah. Once we reach them and attain attain to them, we realize that doesn't make me happy. Right. I'm not satisfied. They did a, a poll one time and it was, you know, how much money does somebody who makes seventy thousand dollars a year need to survive? And the thought was eighty. <laughs> and they asked the person with eighty and it was ninety. Yeah. And ninety it was a hundred. Yep. And that was just the routine of you always want more and you're never satisfied, but God here is giving his children and his sheep, a purpose. He says, we're guided for his name's sake. There's a purpose in what we do as Christians. And there's some, in my opinion, amazing verses that show that purpose throughout God's word. We're moving into this phrase about uh, facing darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, the, I, I take a lot of comfort from the first part of the psalm. But one of the biggest pieces of comfort comes from this this going through the valley mm-hmm. uh let's read it and maybe ask you to help us break down it piece by piece yeah yea though i walk through the valley of shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me that's a sentence mm-hmm. but you've got it broke down into four individual parts let's start with that first one yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death and and you, you bring out this point that as a Christian, 
um, when I read that, I should take comfort in the testing of life. What does that mean? Well, we should understand that we're going to be tested and that testing isn't always a bad thing. We feel like hard times and trials mean we've done something wrong, but it's actually not. And I'll give you a verse and then I'll give you a thought. Okay. Uh, in James 1, verse 2 through 3, and then verse 12, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. Uh, and it builds on there. And once patience has its full effect, right. you can be perfect, complete, lacking right. nothing. And so testing and trials aren't the end of the world. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament notes that God would take his people through the iron furnace, which is just him noting that he was going to test them. He would test them like fire in a furnace, and he would do it to reprove them. He would do it to build their faith up and to remind them that he's God. So testing isn't always negative and bad, and we can remember that. But in my opinion, and this is new to me, uh, a friend taught me this, and it was, in my opinion, the most profound thought within this whole verse, this whole chapter, is he is speaking in verses 1 through 3, as a God or a shepherd who's close and personal, but he's speaking he, him, him. And once he goes through trials and testing, it immediately switches to, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadows, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Mm -hmm. It's no longer he, it's you. You're right. close to me now. Yeah. And the trials and testings of this world are often what remind us of the closeness of God. Yeah. And that's one of the big things from this whole point is that God, in these dark times, isn't a he that is away from us. He is a you that is with us. And that's how the, uh, the, the psalmist switches his uh, kind of tenses through uh, this section of Scripture, and he's changing up. Who he's, not who he's speaking to, but how he's speaking to him. Right. Yeah. So it's more of a close and personal, and it's the testing that brought that closer. I really enjoy that. I... I'm not going to say I've never heard it, but at the same time, I'm not going to say I heard it. So uh, I enjoy the, the switch of pronouns to make this a very personal yeah. part of the experience. Um, you going to add another, th another thought on that? Well, I was just, uh, you gave me the whole verse. Um, and so he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. Sure. He's going through this hard time. And like we said, he's, he's, he's changed who he's speaking to or how he's speaking. By the way, we could just pause to say David walked into the valley to fight Goliath. I always see that whenever yeah. we go through this section. I know it's not maybe specifically about that, mm -hmm. but obviously the valley between Israel and the Philistines was a valley of death. Yeah. So to see him do that and then write this, pretty cool. Right. And all, you know, as you would know, he had five smooth stones on the power of God. <laughs> And one of them was coming for him. <laughs> well, that seems like a pleasant place to pause this podcast and prepare us for the next episode coming next week. So I want to invite you back. I know that maybe a cliffhanger is not always the most enjoyed place to end listening, but I want to invite you back next week to finish up this conversation on Psalm 23 with Brother Aaron Boone and consider some more of these Christian perspectives, some attributes that a Christian can take away from Psalm 23. Until then, you can go to the website, pureandsimplebible.com, and you can find all sorts of information that's there for you to use and download absolutely free. And until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards 
always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.